0: Amen. Well, to have a seat. I love, I love uh, Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a good moment. And what a weird week we've had. Can we just agree that this has been just a, a stack of just, maybe just for me, I don't know. But anyway, uh, I'm glad that you're here. If you're going to follow along uh, in, in your Bible, um, I'm going to be in Acts chapter 2. And I just, thank you, man. You're looking out for me. Uh, I just want to uh, acknowledge a few things. It seems to me that we're on kind of the back end of all the weird COVID protocols, and, and like it, it seems like things are opening up a little bit more free. I, I know that some of you are planning like summer vacations, and every time you open your email, like a new thing is open in the town that you are going to, it's like, oh, yeah, I get to go to the rodeo or whatever. I don't know that anybody went to the rodeo this summer, or even if they have summer rodeos. But uh, I know that things are starting to open up. And as things open up, as, as we start to look back, okay, well, what does the new normal look like? Um, I just wanted to take a minute, maybe if we could rewind the clock all the way back to the beginning of the church and look at what the old new normal looked like. There was a moment where what we 're doing right now, while it seems like kind of second nature to some of us that we 've been gathering together uh, maybe our entire lives. Some of us our mama while she was pregnant, was dragging you into church and, and this, is, this is as normal as normal can be, but there was a moment in history where the church has never churched before, and they don 't know what churching looks like, and I think we may May be able to learn some things about how the first church ever churched and how the current church will begin churching after COVID like releases. Does that make sense? Did I use the word church? Too many times? It's okay. It's a, it's a weird ADHD thing. So um, if you have a Bible, I'm going to open in Acts chapter 2, uh, and uh, it occurs to me, actually, I'm going to mention Pentecost. I didn't, I didn't plan it this way, but today is Pentecost Sunday. I didn't realize that when, when I began working on that, that today was the day. So let me explain what Pentecost Sunday was in Acts and um, what I think is what we're going to learn uh, going forward as well. You know, uh, we, we started with the Lord's Supper, and that day was incredibly sad. I mean, Jesus is basically announcing to his best friends that he's going to go and he's going to, to die. That night, he was arrested, and later he went to the cross, and his friends saw their best friend die. Um, there's this moment where uh, Peter, the same Peter who kept saying things like, I will do anything you want, Jesus. I'll follow you anywhere you want. After his friend died, when, when all the people were murmuring and yelling, uh, he was the one who's like, I don't, I don't know who Jesus is. And he, he was really scared in that moment. He kind of stepped back from being you know, a follower of Jesus. Um, You have uh, this weird moment that a week before the crucifixion, you have an entire crowd of people that are cheering for Jesus. "Yay, your king has arrived, the promised king, and then the following week, that same crowd is given a choice between releasing Jesus and releasing a murderer, and they're like, release us the murderer, and they chose the murderer over Jesus. And then when Jesus goes to the cross, they have a funeral later, and there's a burial, and you see Mary Magdalene there. You see uh, uh, Jesus looks down at his best friend John, the disciple John, and he says to John, take care of my mom, Mary. Like, could you imagine? Like, you're breathing your last breaths, and you're like, who's going to take care of my mom? And he looks down, and he tells his friend to take care of his mom. They have the funeral of Jesus three days later. Jesus is resurrected, and we celebrate that on Easter. We did that about 50 days ago. Uh, A piece of trivia, if you don't know, Pentecost, Pent 5, it's 50 days after Passover, 50 days after Easter for us. And so for that moment, all of the hopes that they had put in Jesus are kind of confusing. Uh, And then the resurrection happens, and all of the disciples are now confused because what do we do with this? What do we we know? What what are we supposed to do? And so what you see in Scripture for about two months is that the disciples just, they met together, and they prayed. And Peter's like, I know how to go fishing. So he goes fishing a couple of times, and they, they, they are just like, I don't, like, what does Christianity mean? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Yes, he's resurrected, but we've never churched before Acts chapter 2 opens with Pentecost and there's this moment where the 12 disciples are praying uh, and they're just kind of like trying to figure things out and something new that has never happened before happens and that the Lord releases the Holy Spirit on all followers of Jesus just freely. In the Old Testament, you see individual people selected to be anointed with the Holy Spirit, but now it is just freely given to every follower of Jesus. And these disciples who are scared and timid and have no idea what to do immediately, are on mission and immediately know what to do. They stand up, they walk out of the room, and they start telling everybody they can about the power of Jesus that has transformed them. Some of them were tax collectors, and Peter was a fisherman who couldn't get his foot out of his mouth, but, but all of them were somehow different and more confident and more on mission and more on purpose than they were just a few days before. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we read, like, after, after uh, they've given this, like, you know, great sermon and a crowd of people and people are, you know, asking questions about who this Jesus is, we read this. It says, and they, the, the Christians, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The first church that ever church said, we've got to get into the teachings of God's word and know what the apostles are telling us. We have to get together and fellowship with each other. We need to break bread. And when we do that, do that in remembrance of the Jesus who died. We've participated in that. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. And we, we do that. The, the reason why church flows the way that it does is because the first church who ever churched did these things. They taught God's word. They got together and, and shared stories about what God was doing. They broke bread together and they prayed together. And it says in verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. As the first church who ever churched was churching, they are in awe of what God was doing. It says, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They're just seeing things happen that they've never seen before. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Everybody who called upon the name of Jesus for salvation said, we have this thing in common. Therefore, we're going to have all things in common. Let's get together. Um, I think one of the, the hardest things about COVID, uh, minus, minus those we know who were sick and those we know who have even died as a result of it, I think one of the hardest things about COVID is that it's broken the togetherness that we've had. Um, and I think, I think we can all agree that we've mourned the, the lack of togetherness for a season, whether that's because you needed to take a moment back and you, were, you, you, you needed to be safe and at home, or maybe it's like we were here, but, but some of our favorite people aren't in the building that, that there's something that was robbed because of COVID, about this togetherness and the benefit of being with you know, like-minded Christians and trusting that Jesus is working in their life as much as in yours, but it's different, and you get to see how Jesus is doing amazing things in other people's lives. I know uh, over the last year and some change, uh, it's been really, really a weird season not really knowing how people are doing, and calling and checking on people, like I haven't have heard from you in a while. Are you okay? And yeah, we're fine. We're just we can't get together right now because of this. I think moving forward, uh, as as COVID is certainly winding down, all the protocols for it anyhow are. Um, I think I think we need to be a church that fights for togetherness. The first church, whoever church, said that no matter what skin color you were, what language you spoke, what how much money you had, whether you were a government official or a beggar on the street. We're the same, we're together. We fight for that, we fight for that unity to be together. says, so, and, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, verse 45, and they were selling their possessions. This is how much togetherness they had. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. One of the things that they had uh, in common is that they believed that if you have a problem that you can't fix because you don't have enough money to fix it, that means it's my problem too. They were so together in their identity that your problems were my problems, and if I have the ability to help you solve your problem, I'm going to do everything I can, including selling pieces of my property, to make sure that your problem is solved. And they met each other's needs. And it keeps going. It says, And day by day, verse 46, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Day by day they did this. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They kept doing this process, repeating it. They got together. They fought to be together. They they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. They broke bread together. They shared prayers together. And day by day, they kept going through the motions. And day by day, their heart filled with gladness. Their heart filled with joy. And day by day, the Lord added to their numbers. Um, I don't think the church moving forward, and when I say the church, I don't mean Carpenters, I mean capital C, Church Across the Globe. I don't think the church across the globe on the back end of COVID really needs to focus on growth parameters. Like, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to, like, these are the 10 steps to get more people in the seats. I, I don't, I don't, I think that's fruitless. I think what we ought to do is focus on the apostles' teachings prayer, breaking bread, sharing each other's struggles, meeting each other's needs, and then day by day as we do that, as our gladness and our joy increases, we just trust the Lord to handle the numbers. The Lord will grow the church. I think all the headlines about the decline of the church in America is really just fake news. Uh, I I hate to put hashtag fake news on something, but it it just, like, really, God has not given up on the church, right? Right? The church is still at work. God, God promised that, that until he rebuilds heaven and earth, the church will survive. The church isn't going to, to fail because of COVID. Um, so I trust him. I trust, I trust his way of doing things. Now, uh, a couple of Wednesday's ago, I I was teaching the students, and so we we taught this passage that I'm about to go into, and I love this because what we just saw was like this big, like macro view of what the church was doing. I want to tell you the story about a man named Edmund, if I can, uh, and he begins in chapter three. Uh, Edmund is not listed in scripture as being named Edmund; he's just he's just a nameless person. When I asked the teenagers, I said, "Hey, we need a name for this guy so that we can act out a part." immediately the name was yelled out, Edmund. I have no idea. Maybe the Lord provided that, or maybe it's just a goofy name, but it's helpful to have names for people we don't know. It says in chapter three, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m. in their time. Now remember who Peter and John are for a second. Peter is the guy who denied Jesus three times. Peter is the guy who got to walk on water because of his confidence. Peter's the guy who didn't listen to Jesus about not using a sword, and then proceeded to try to cut somebody's head off missed and just caught the ear and cut that guy's ear off. That's Peter. He's like the all or nothing Peter. John is always described as kind of a a, a quieter version, a little bit more sensitive. Um, And so you have Peter and John, and they were always together when Jesus uh, was there. I, I guess their friendship carried over into this moment because now they're going to the temple together. And as Peter and John are going to the temple at 3 p.m. It says, and a man, we will call Edmund, and a man lame from birth, this man has never walked, his legs have never carried him anywhere. From the day he was born, he was lame from birth, was being carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. This guy, every day of his life, during prayer, he has somebody, a friend, maybe a group of friends, just takes him to the gate and sets him down. Every day this guy's there, and every day he's asking for a little help, a little charity with his hand out. We'll see later that he's not making eye contact with people, because I don't know if you know this, but that's a really dehumanizing position to be in, that you you can't walk, you can't do anything to serve yourself. You are totally dependent on the, the generosity of the people next to you. And you are now just a, you might as well be a shrub. You're constantly there. That people are so used to you being, Edmund, at the, at the foot of this gate that they, they just walk by. And they're just, they're just so used to you. That, that your problem, Edmund, that you've never walked and you need some help, has become so commonplace and so normal that they wouldn't even notice, Edmund, if you weren't there. Anybody here have a problem that at, at one point everybody knew about and everybody was there to help and it, it just kind of sank in and, and it just becomes more identity than it is problem to be solved? And you're just, do, do people even notice me anymore? Am I, still, am I still meaningful? Am I still worth something? And that's, that's Edmund. Edmund felt that way. And so they set him at the, at the gate. Oh. It says in verse 3, seeing Peter and John, uh, we'll see later that he didn't make eye contact with them, so he just saw their feet. He's looking, he sees these feet go by, he starts asking for money. So seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He commands him to to look at him. Two two things I think are important. Uh, Peter and John, they didn't do what they probably did weeks before that which is just walk by without even realizing Edmund was still there. It says that Peter and John turned and directed their gaze at Edmund. And they saw him for who he was. They saw him in the problems that he was in and, and said, Hey, Edmund, you, you can look at us too. Would you look at us? Like Just make eye contact with me for a second. It says, and he fixed his attention on them, verse 5, and expecting. He's like, well, okay, that's awesome. You're going to give me some money. Expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, but Peter said... I have no silver and gold, which is really how I feel most of the time. I don't know about you, but like you need a dollar to accomplish that. It is so hard for me to find one green paper dollar because I always just have a debit card. I never have money in my pocket. Peter and John have no money in their pocket. I have no silver. I have no gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Just get up. Let's do this. In verse 7, and it says, And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And it says in leaping, this guy didn't like, he gets brand new legs under him. And he doesn't do the feeble walk. He's like, Ha-ho! and he jumps up like Mario. He is really kind of excited that these legs are working all of a sudden. I, I don't know what it takes for Peter to be sitting there thinking, I think the Lord wants me to tell this guy to get up. Like that is some kind of confidence right there. And like, it's just a one way, like I know exactly what God wants. Peter being the same guy who two months ago, didn't have enough courage to say, I knew Jesus, is now having enough courage and trust to say, uh, I, think, I think we're going to, let's get up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They pick him up. This guy jumps up on his feet. It is, it is bonkers because Edmund has never walked a day in his life. An adult man, and he has been at the foot of that gate for as long as anybody can remember. And now he's got some feet up under him, uh, and he's hopping and he's skipping. It's a good, good day. And it says in verse 8, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and enter the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This sucker was doing like the heel click thing that you see in old movies. He's like, ha ha ha, you know, and he's clicking. Everybody's like, good night, Edmund. Like, have you been faking for the last 30 years? Like, where is this coming from? In verse 9, and all the people, if you saw Edmund, if, if we had a guy who every day sat outside that door and all of a sudden he's in here hopping and skipping, holding on to John and, and Peter, you, you would be like, wow, that, that is something to see. It says, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What you see is that Peter and John, they are doing exactly what we just read the church was doing, which is they just devoted themselves to God's word. They prayed, they got together, they broke bread. And as he's going about his normal business, he sees a need. He sees a need. And it's no longer, oh, poor guy, I feel sorry for you. It's now, what does God want me to do to help? What what can I do to serve him? Because the Lord has paid such a high price. I no longer need to deal with my own inner turmoil, my own inner shame and guilt. I no longer need to deal with my own identity. And I don't care because two months ago I was worried that these people were going to arrest me for knowing Jesus. I'm about to yell the name of Jesus and I just don't care anymore because I think think it's worth it for Edmund. In fact, uh, honestly, Peter and John do get arrested later for doing this, uh, but we won't go into that for the sermon. But he doesn't care anymore. It's now more important to him that Jesus meets the needs of Edmund than that he himself is protected from the consequences of doing these, you know, just trusting Jesus. And it says that awe and amazement were on them. I want to be a part of a church that as, as we devote to God's word, as we devote to God's people, we devote ourselves to the cause of Christ in our community, we're going out, that people are just like... Just like taken back with awe and amazement, not at how good you are or how you know, like, you know, like pretty you people are. Uh, although you are a great-looking group of people, uh, except for no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I want people to be like, golly, that Jesus is so worth it that they're in awe and amazement of the goodness of a Christ who for, who can forgive sins. We have we have in within within a hundred yards of our building. I've talked to a police officer sitting on my property and he's telling me that they are trying to root out uh, prostitution in these hotels in the back right here. And if you go and talk to these ladies, there's shame and there's guilt and there's hurt. And I want them to know a Jesus that can overcome all of that shame and all of that guilt and can forgive an amazing amount of sin. And then they can find hope. They They can walk with their heads up. That would be great for us. I think that as we practice churching in a post-COVID world, we can see these same moments. Okay, so here's what we have. We have uh, Peter and John. uh, They're walking in. They just yelled the name of Jesus that they would have been scared to yell two months before. They have uh, watched Edmund healed, uh, yelled for him, get up and walk. And he did. Uh, Edmund is not going in quietly. He's hopping, skipping, Mario jumping, and clicking his heels. And everybody's looking at this like wow, what is going on? So they start asking questions. Verse 11 says, while he, the, our, our, our friend that we're calling Edmund, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, which I, I wonder if he's clinging to Peter and John because it's like it's still a little weak in his legs. That's what I thought about a week ago. But the more I read this and study it, the sucker was leaping I don't think he's weak in his legs. I think he's just like, please don't go away from me. You're my best friends all of a sudden. Like, he's just clinging on to them. Uh, anybody have a clingy friend that they're just like, hey, I just need to breathe a little bit? You know? But there he is. He's clinging on to Peter and John. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, which was like a big like, breezeway that they had at the temple. It's where all the philosophers would stand and say the next smart thing that they have learned about the world at Solomon's portico. And now they want to know, hey, how, how'd this happen? Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk? It wasn't us. We didn't do this. In fact, when I did this, he'll say, I used the name of Jesus. I'm not going to take any credit for this. I don't have magic healing powers. Don't make me a doctor. I don't know if God's going to ask me to do that for the next guy we run into. But that moment right there, I believe Jesus wanted me to do that and I just yelled the name of Jesus and Jesus did it. He says in verse 13, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom, and now he starts like telling them their business, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Just pause for a second. Um, He's not talking to the same, uh, uh, like, citizen group of people. He's not not saying this just because they happen to be in the same city. In this crowd of people are undoubtedly the same people who right before Jesus uh, entered Jerusalem, yay, the king is coming. A week later, release to us the other guy. We don't want that one. Go ahead and crucify him. A few days after that, we're standing at the foot of the cross, yelling and making fun of the risen Christ, and now we're sitting here, and Peter's like, what you're seeing happen goes all the way back to the time Remember Jesus? Remember what that was like? It would be easy for him to end right there and be like, "And too bad for you. <laughs> you didn't like that, Jesus? We're going to take him over here. But he, he, releases, he even, even offers hope to them. He says, to this we are witnesses, verse 16, and his name by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. That Jesus is the one who did this. Verse 7, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. He admits, he's like, you just, you didn't know what was going on. How many of us have, like, had an aha moment? We woke up and we're like, I just wish I knew better. I just wish someone would have said something to me. Uh, uh, Wednesday, um, I I did, like, a little, like, I was thrown in the lion's den for a minute, and some of you came and you asked me really, really hard questions on the stage. And one of them was, that's a joke, it was really painless. Uh, but one of them was, Jesse, share your testimony. And, and it hit me as I was talking that I believed in God long before anybody told me the name of Jesus. Nobody told me. Nobody said there was a Jesus with hope attached to his name. A man. And so you have Peter and John. He's like, let me tell you about the Jesus who has hope attached to his name, who has forgiveness uh, and power. You acted in ignorance, he says, as did the, your rulers. Verse 18, but God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer. Like, God knew what he was doing. He knew that Jesus was going to go through this and thus fulfilled. Verse 19, repent therefore... You now have a chance. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Here's what Peter and John found out is that Jesus was enacting the the final plan where all things are going to be restored and in this moment he's talking to people who have already said absolutely no to Jesus. And he says, it's not too late to be restored. It's not too late to find forgiveness in his name. It's not too late to find hope. His message, even though he is literally talking to the very same group of people that chose the murderer over Jesus, his message is that still Jesus offers hope, which is really great news for all of us who feel super guilty for letting God down every now and then, right? I physically was not in the crowd yelling for Barabbas, but there are pieces of my life that I'm just like, God, I just, I'm so sorry, i will let you down. And if I let shame and guilt start to dictate my emotions after that, then I become a shell of the person, a hopeless version of Jesse. But if I read these words right, and these words are true, and I believe that they are, that even when Jesse lets God down, the name of Jesus offers forgiveness. You drank the juice and you ate the bread because you were announcing, to, you're telling your soul, believe this soul, Jesus offers forgiveness. There is hope in the name of Jesus. The first church, whoever church trying to figure out for the very first time, had all of these things in common. They devoted themselves to God's word, they prayed and they were together and they fought for togetherness. They believed that being together was better than being apart. I just I, I want to talk to all of you in the building, you, you that are online. Um, so, some of us are online because uh, work schedules and, and, and because our health is what it is. I just want to encourage you that a day will come where, where we want to fight for being together. And I'll be honest with you, every one of you, we're better when you're in this building. And we're hearing what the Lord is doing in your life. And we're better when you can be in this building as well, uh, online uh, crew. I, I want to I close with just three Uh, uh, kind of observations, some questions, and then I think uh, Wasey will want to say a few words. Um, The first is this, Uh, as as I think of moving forward, as Carpenter's Way is moving forward uh, over the next few months in a post-COVID world, I I just want to say that what the Lord is planning for CW is more precious than what the Lord has already accomplished through CW, when we talk and we meet, when we watch that countdown video a minute ago and we remember the, the, the time that we had the kids here and the, the time that Armando slid out the back of the, the slip and slide and we look at that time that I got to crack an egg on Matt's head, it is awesome and fun and hilarious to look on all the things that CW has already done and celebrate it and be honored by it and, and even build that as a foundation for the next things we're going to do. But make no mistake... Our best days at CW aren't in what we've already done because the Lord is not finished with Carpenter's Way. Until the Lord closes these doors down, the best days are forward. And even then, if the Lord closes these doors down, I believe that the best days are forward. Let me give you an example. This building, if you don't know, was given to us by a church that built it and used to meet here. They were called Woodcrest Baptist Church. And a day came as, as they uh, were phasing out. There was, a, I believe, somebody can correct me on the numbers, eight to nine or ten people that were regularly meeting here. They were debt-free, and they had, they had no, no you know, serious things that they had to, you know, like bills or anything that they had to pay for. They just chose. You know what? I want the Lord to continue doing something in this building. Let's go find a church who would be willing to meet right here. Carpenter's Way was given for free. This building, this land, this space... Because the church that Jesus was using before said, yeah, let's pass that forward. We're, we're a legacy of the Lord still at work in a church that we can't find out there. Woodcrest Baptist Church isn't there anymore, yet Woodcrest Baptist Church, their faithfulness causes us to meet right here. So here's the question, what is, what is t- today's faithfulness going to cause for tomorrow in your workplace, in your family, and in, in in the place that Carpenter's Way calls home, because I believe that the things that happen tomorrow are going to be far more precious than the things that we celebrate from before. The second thing uh, I want to look at is, uh, you know, that, that first church is uh, how, how do you, uh, what do you have that can be given to the cause of Christ? You, you had an entire group of people that everything that they had, they had in common and they shared, and then they gave to meet the needs of everybody else. Um, this is not a question about how much money are you willing to give to the next, you know, missions endeavor. This is a question of your time, your energy, your, your space, your willingness, your prayers. Like, what do you have, and you have a lot, that you'd be willing to give to what Jesus is doing in the community? Let me ask you a few questions. Will you pray for a few people that you know that, uh, that, that serve the Lord and pray for their protection? Will you pray for me and my family? Will you pray for the other uh, staff that are here that, you would, that, that the Lord would continue to use our work? I would welcome your prayers. They would, too. You know, Last week, Stephen, uh, man, which was a great message, by the way, um, he said, he said uh, what, how do you word it? Man, I'm going to butcher it. He's like, you don't need to ask God if you need to volunteer. (laughs) It's not something you need to pray about. It's just time to get to work. There's a lot of work to be done here. There's a lot of work that we were doing before that because of COVID and the lack of togetherness, the, the teams have disbanded. And maybe you're just like, hey, I just want to get back to doing what I was doing. I just want to get back to, to holding doors and, and, and changing diapers. I want to get back to that. Or maybe the Lord has given you a dream and a vision for something new, and you're just like, I want to meet with somebody. And like, hey, here's what I think. I think the Lord wants me to have a, like, grass art ministry. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I made that up right now. Uh, and you're just like, I just can we dream about that? Yes, we can. Who am I to say that the Lord wouldn't use a grass art ministry? but it's better than sitting around waiting for God to knock on our door and force us into doing something. You, you have time, you have energy, you have prayers that you haven't prayed yet. Uh, you may have an abundance of resources, uh, financial or otherwise, that you're ready to give to the cause of Christ. Let me, can I encourage you? Find something you see Jesus doing and do something to give to it, financially, prayerfully, or otherwise. But what, what do you have That you can give to the cause of Christ. One more thing that you can give, uh, and this is a real request. Um, The first church that ever churched, there, there were kind of two kinds of people. There was the kinds of people who were selling all over the things to meet the needs of others, the other kind of people were the people with needs who had nothing to sell to accomplish their needs, to meet their needs. Some of you, I believe, have really heavy hearts and very big needs that you just haven't shared with us yet. You haven't asked somebody to pray for you about that thing or to join in you and just like checking in on you and your marriage and your parenting. And you just think, I just can't. I've got to put my best face on when I show up to church. I got to put my mask on, Uh, you know, the metaphorical mask. I can't talk about masks anymore. But the metaphorical mask uh, and I, can I be honest with you? One thing that you can share with Carpenter's Way, either through a prayer card on the back or privately with an elder, or just find a brother or a sister in this room, is share your real need so that somebody can, can have the blessing of praying with you about that and maybe meeting that need. Um, the Lord never intended for you to carry all of your pains and all of your problems by yourself. And the first church that ever church figured that out, and they did it well. What if everybody who showed up was like, oh, I don't, I don't need that money. Uh, I've got all this debt, but I, <laughs> I got plans. I got the lotto. Uh, I've got, I've got my four hundred one k. It's going to be fine. They just denied it. No, no, there were people willing to give up plots of land to meet the very real physical needs of these people. And if the people with the need said, No, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to give you the chance to do that, uh, then these other people miss out on a blessing, don't they? The third thing is this, and I love this question. Um, What can cause a change like we just read about in the life of John uh, and Peter? They were not just naturally strong, well-spoken people. They were scared and feeble at times. They wavered in their trust of Jesus. Yet something changed to where all they could think about is that Jesus is enough. He's big enough, he's powerful enough, and he's forgiven us greatly. All we know is that Jesus is worth it and we need to share Jesus with other people. Here's what I think we can read in Peter and John is that in the name of Jesus is the opportunity for real life change. Not not the kind of life change where you like write your New Year's Eve and it's like, you know, stop judging me on my past. And you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you stop cussing a little bit. Uh, We're talking about the kind of life change to where the things that used to disqualify you in your head, the shame, the guilt, you've laid them down at the feet of Jesus. And then you have all the freedom to just pursue him and to seek him and to point others to him. Peter and John are not the best examples of how to follow Jesus all the way through, but they are great examples of what the forgiveness of Jesus can accomplish in someone. And so what what I would ask you is that whatever can cause a change like that for Peter and John, maybe, maybe we seek that and we pray that Jesus would continue to change our hearts in that way. That the cowardly Jesse would be more confident in sharing what Jesus is doing. That the, the foot and mouth of Jesse learns to keep his mouth shut more and just love people more as a result of that. That the, that the, the feeble and weak kind of John, he's always described as kind of like a, a smaller, quieter version, would have boldness to stand in a crowd knowing that they're probably going to arrest me for what I'm about to say and still do it. And yes, they get arrested. Uh, you can read that in chapter four. But for now, uh, I'll leave you with that. Uh, love you guys. Let's pray. And then I think Wasey will come up uh, here. Pray with me. Father, uh, this morning, God, we thank you um, for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that there is a map for how to, how to church and how to, how to trust you. Uh, Lord, I pray for us that you would, um, that you would embolden us that you would encourage us to lay every piece of us at the cross, that we would find forgiveness and hope in your name, and that we would be transformed to the point that we can bring transformation to the people who can't even make it past the gate, who have never been seen, who have never, who have never had eyes laid on them. Lord, give us the eyes to see those people that have become invisible to us. Give us eyes to see the needs of people uh, that have forgot to ask for help. And give us the courage to ask for help when our needs have become so heavy that we can't carry them ourselves lord give us give us help give us grace in jesus name amen